The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, you've got me, Sean Hannity, and guess what? I'm turning the tables on my good friend, Newt Gingrich. And today I will be asking the questions of Newt about his brand new book. You can get it on Amazon.com, Hannity.com, bookstores everywhere. Defeating Big Government Socialism, Saving America's Future. All right, Mr. Speaker, great to be on your podcast, but I'm really liking it even better because you're now releasing your new book. It's called Defeating Big Government Socialism, Saving America's Future. I can't think of a more timely book at a moment in history, and you're the great historian, not me, that is necessary, especially as we head into, I think, what will be the most important midterms in our lifetime. And we've known each other now going back since 1990. Most people might think this is weird, but we actually met in a Holiday Inn hotel room. You were giving a speech. I was a local radio host in Huntsville, Alabama, and I was in a suit and tie, which is rare for me. And you gave this young kid that was new to talk radio, only, what, three years experience at that time an opportunity to talk about all the things that would lead up to you four years later becoming Speaker of the House and bringing Republicans back to power. So you have all the intellectual firepower to change the country again. And I think this is the roadmap, defeating big government socialism, saving America's future. Let me start with this. I've never been more worried about America's future than now. Never, ever in my whole life have been more worried than now. Look, I think that's right. I just talked to a good mutual friend of ours, Gay Gaines, who was saying that she's frightened. She watches Biden. She watches Harris. She watches Pelosi. And she doesn't know what's going to happen to the country. And I think anybody who is not deeply worried, I think, is out of touch with reality. I think of the depth of the Great Depression or the period just before the American Civil War. This is one of those moments when the world's really dangerous and we have a president who at best is cognitively challenged. And we have a vice president who I think is a perfect example of modern education. She doesn't know anything. She doesn't know how to learn. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. I mean, she either giggles inappropriately or she says something that nobody can understand. Right. But I think it's literally that she is the modern school graduate 
She's the product of the teachers' union belief that knowledge is dangerous. And as long as you have good emotions, who cares if you don't know anything? Well, in the president and vice president of the United States, that is really a dangerous position. And so none of us should hope anything happens to Biden because the vice president would be, I think, 20 times worse. And that's saying a lot. I think Biden is the worst president since James Buchanan, who's the guy who got us into a civil war. And I think Biden's terrible. And I think she would be literally 10 or 20 times more dangerous. Joe Biden, just to put emphasis on this point, now has the lowest approval rating of any president since 1948 at this time in his presidency. And you're right about Kamala Harris. I mean, she is in so far over her head. I mean, that thought frightens me. And then if she's one heartbeat away from the presidency, as they say, and Nancy Pelosi's two heartbeats away, she's got her own cognitive struggles. But I really want to stay focused on this. Joe Biden, for example, said that he would get us off fossil fuels and eliminate it. We're now paying five, six, seven dollars a gallon for gasoline. We have a 42 year high of inflation. I keep playing tapes of Joe Biden saying, I'm going to eliminate fossil fuels. So this is by design. This is the new Green Deal, you know, socialist agenda. Your book is defeating big government socialism, saving America's future. Now we get into the serious aspect of this and explain, you know, the title alone speaks volumes. Explain what that means. Part of the reason I felt compelled to write this book is I don't think people should think that the failure of the Biden administration is just a personality failure. I think these people believe things that don't work. They believe them very deeply. I always tell people, you know, Reagan used to say, it isn't what liberals don't know that scares me. It's what they know that isn't true. You know, I mean, Biden can't bring himself to understand the simplest things. If you want more oil and gas, you encourage American industry and almost overnight prices will come down. You may remember because you and I did a great project called Drill Here, Drill Now, Pay Less. And with you driving it on radio and TV, we got a million six hundred thousand people to sign up. And at the time, Obama represented exactly what Biden represents. And I did a book called Gasoline at 250 a Gallon. And Obama attacked it and said, this is impossible. You'll never get there. And of course, Donald Trump got us the lowest price of gasoline in modern times. And he did it the old-fashioned way. He used free enterprise to encourage companies to go out and drill the gasoline, build the pipelines, have the refineries. And the price came down. But I want people to understand, big government socialism is real. It absolutely dominates our bureaucracies. Somebody said to me one time that serving with Pompeo at the State Department was like Fort Apache, the Bronx, that they were surrounded by thousands of people who hated the very idea of a pro-American foreign policy. And it just gives you a flavor that the Biden administration just appointed a spokesperson, I think, for religious liberty, who has said publicly, the problem with white diplomats is they're too pro-American. Now, I mean, if you're appointing somebody who, as the American diplomat who doesn't want to be pro-American, you have to think these people, I think they actually have a mental health problem. We're not just dealing with an ideology. We're dealing with people who are so out of touch with reality, they're sick. But I wanted in the book, Defeating Big Government Socialism, I wanted to give the people who watch your show or who listen to my podcast and what have you, I wanted them to have the arguments so they could, in their neighborhood with their neighbors, make the case that big government socialism doesn't work. We know, for example, because as you know, we've been doing this very elaborate polling program for the last four years. We know that free market capitalism beats big government socialism by 59 to 16. Very different than Yale and Harvard think. We know that people are so convinced that the system isn't working that we recently got results that by 87% of the country wants to restore the America that works. This is way beyond liberal conservative. These are people who are saying, I can't find infant formula. I just talked to somebody who is redoing their house and they can't get things because of the logistics supply chain. You know, people can't afford to go buy gasoline. Close to the other day, paid $104 to fill up her car and was in a state of shock. And so I want people to understand this is a result of bad ideas. Now, it's being implemented by people who are incompetent, 
But even if they were competent, the ideas are so bad, they won't work. And the purpose of the book, Defeating Big Government Socialism, is to give you the tools so you can go out and with your friends and your neighbors over coffee, you can win the argument and help them understand why we really do have to get back to the things that have worked in America and get away from the things that don't work. It's fascinating because every election year, I will lay out a set of points that I believe are most pertinent to the pending election. And then people will accuse me of being repetitive. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm being repetitive by design. And my hope is if I start something in January, by the time November comes around, they will be able to regurgitate it themselves to their friends and family because they have heard it so often. You mentioned something that made me pause, and that is Callista was stunned at $104 to fill up her gas tank. We now are at a point where two-thirds of Americans now live paycheck to paycheck. We're now at a point in America where everybody has that same sticker shock. So, you know, when you open your book, you described your visit to Capitol Hill and the Republican Study Committee, and you were speaking before their weekly lunch. And at the event, you know, it really brought to your attention exactly how partisan Pelosi and Democrats have become. I now say that they are a climate alarmist religious cult. Because common sense would say when gas gets to five, six bucks a gallon and you inherited $2.39 a gallon gasoline, you go back to the policies that work, but they're not capable of that. So describe that moment where you realized how bad things have changed. Well, and let me start by saying how strongly I agree with you. I think you have to see the modern left as a secular religion. I was really surprised. I went back doing some research. And in 1972, 50 years ago, Theodore White wrote in his Making of the President in 1972 that the liberal ideology had become a liberal theology and could no longer be negotiated or modified because it had the same impact as a religious theological position. Now, that's 50 years ago, and it's just gotten sicker and sicker and sicker. I was very fortunate I'd been invited to come to the Republican Study Committee, and Steve Scalise, the Republican whip, was there. We had a great conversation over lunch with about 40 or 50 members. And afterwards, they said, why don't you come to the House floor? I had not been on the House floor in years because I don't feel like I should intrude on the people who are currently elected. He said, it will shock the Democrats just to have you walk in. The idea of shocking Pelosi kind of attracted me. So I said, sure, I'll go over with you. Well, it was a real revelation because, you know, I served in the U.S. House when it was the people's house, when you could walk in and out casually, you could hang out when the house wasn't in session, you could bring your friends on. And as we went over there, it's like being at an airport. You had to go through a Capitol Police-controlled magnetometer. You had to make sure you didn't have a gun or anything else. And I'm thinking, these are the people elected by the people of the United States, and they are being subordinated to the Capitol Police. They're being subordinated to the Speaker's staff. They're being basically told that they have to be meek and obedient. They're being given bills they haven't read and told they have 20 minutes to vote on them. And Pelosi, and I say this as a former Speaker of the House, and people thought I was pretty strong when I was Speaker, Pelosi runs a dictatorship. And I'm amazed, I must say, as a technical fact, she has a four-vote margin The House is designed so if you have a one-vote margin, you know, you can get almost anything done. It's very different than the Senate. But she really does run a dictatorship. And as I went on the floor and looked around, I realized this is almost an effort to undermine and cripple the morale of the freely independent people. You know, the House should be a place where 435 people elected by their own folks back home show up with pride, with strength with courage, represent their folks, get into arguments, disagree with each other, and gradually shape legislation that everybody has thought about and read and studied and tried to modify. Instead, everybody now basically is told that they're all mushrooms. They're going to be kept in the dark. They're going to know nothing. And when the dictator decides she'll bring something to the floor, her side will vote yes. 
an astonishing level of control. Now, if I could, I want to take just a minute and tell you a story that I was so touched by, and that's probably the heart of why I feel so deeply about this. When I was the Republican whip during the closing days of the Soviet empire, we had a delegation of about 20 or 25 journalists who came from the Soviet Union to visit the Capitol, and we were out of session. So in contrast to the Pelosi dictatorship, I took all of them on the House floor. Here are all these folks who come from all over the Soviet empire, and they're all reporters. And I said, here's what we're going to do. I want one of you to come up here and sit where the speaker sits. Now, I want somebody else to come up here. You stand where the president stands when he gives the State of the Union. And then I talked about the fact, for example, that the speaker and the vice president sit above the president because they're the hosts. He is their guest because this is a co-equal branch of government. I always tell people I worked with presidents. I never worked for a president because I was independently elected. So anyway, we get done doing this. And the guy who is in the speaker's chair is physically trembling as he comes down. And he was a nice guy from Latvia. And he said to me, you know, after the Russians occupied us in 1940, they gave us all this propaganda, but none of us ever believed it. We all had relatives in Chicago. We all understood America. We were all pro-American. He said, and I'm so emotional because you allowed me to sit at the center of freedom. And I said to him, you're exactly right. The White House is not the center of freedom. The White House is an elected kingship. The center of freedom is the Capitol. It's the House and the Senate. It's independently elected people. And what Pelosi has done is she has basically crippled the very strength of freedom that is essential to you and me and our children and grandchildren living in a free country. And that's why I think it's so vital this fall, both to defeat them, but also the point I make again and again in my new book on defeating big government socialism. This is a lesson I learned from Margaret Thatcher. We have to defeat the idea, not just defeat the people. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. It's almost appropriate, considering the example you just cited, to go back and mention Alexander Solzhenitsyn and his speech at Harvard. Now, you're a far greater historian than me, but his admonition and his warning about what was happening in America 
one of the things that is very stark to me about the times we're living in is for most of my career, I have found that the Democrat Party in particular would try to hide who they are. They try to hide their socialism or redistributionism. They are now openly advocating for things that in the past they would never, ever utter publicly, which is eliminating fossil fuels. The whole Green New Deal, the, the Biden-Bernie manifesto, and you know, where are the Scoop Jacksons of the world? Where are the moderate Democrats? Where are the Sam Nuns if we go to, back to Georgia? Maybe we can count, what, um, Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema? Henry Cuellar, who just won the primary in Texas, is the only pro-life Democrat in the House. Wow. What happened to that party? That was never the case. No, it used to be historically that they were about split equally because, of course, in the old days, if you were an Irish or Italian Catholic, the odds were you were a Democrat. Right. By the way, most of them would vote to have an abortion, you know, up until the moment of birth. And force you to pay for it with tax money. Yeah, great point. Yeah, I think what happened, and I lived through a part of this. People forget, but when I first got elected, I was the only Republican from Georgia. The entire rest of the delegation were Democrats. But with the exception of Andy Young, they were all very conservative Democrats. They represented the last stand of an old order. And gradually, some were replaced by Republicans. And I remember one time, one of them came to see me, solid guy, not a big fighter, but a guy who represented his district very accurately. And we were sitting on a chair near the background. He said to me, I'm not ever going to go to the Democratic caucus. And I said, what? He said, they are putting so much pressure on us to vote against Reagan, and I won't do it. And I don't feel like having these people yell at me. And I remember Zell Miller, great governor and senator from Georgia. Zell called me one day and said, would you come over and have breakfast? And I said, sure. I'd known Zell since 1964 when I was a student who dropped out of Emory to run a congressional campaign. And he was a young state senator in a Democratic primary against the dean of the delegation. By the way, we did a book signing once together at a car dealership in Georgia, in Atlanta. I think we started at about five at night and we didn't finish till three or four in the morning. I mean, and we did it. He stood the whole time. It didn't move. You were popular, but he was amazingly popular. People loved him. And he wrote a great book about what he learned in the Marine Corps. So Zell has me come over. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I want to apologize to you. And I said, what do you mean? He said, all those years you would come home and you would say how bad the Democratic caucus was. And I said, oh, Newt's just being a partisan. He said, these people are so sick that I'm not ever again going to go to a caucus meeting. And then after that, he endorsed George W. Bush for re-election. But he said, they are so cynical and so left-wing that I have no place in that. And he said, I'm not going to switch parties because I've been a Democrat my whole life. But I will just tell you, I will never again caucus with them. As a side note, I campaigned. We had a big plane we chartered, and there were a whole bunch of us on it. Bill Bennett was on it. Ollie North was on it. Zell was on it. J.C. Watts was on it. And we campaigned in Florida, Pennsylvania, and Ohio. And Zell was on that flight. And Zell spoke at every event. He was terrific. But I think my only point being that part of the reason I felt compelled to write Defeating Big Government Socialism is I've watched them over about a 40-year period, step-by-step, step, take over their party. And because it's a religious cult, and I agree with you, they can't have any opposition. So if you don't buy into the cult, they have to destroy you. And you see that in terms of the way they deal with businesses and the way they deal with college professors. Well, the same thing's true in the Congress. If you don't go along with them, your life is going to be miserable. Same thing's true in the executive branch. I mean, I think that people don't realize that this is a great challenge for us if we win again in 2024. We have to think through, you know, Lincoln talked about government of the people, by the people, and for the people. What we get in Washington today is government by left-wing bureaucrats, for left-wing bureaucrats, in terms of dominating the people. And it's really a profoundly sick system. Let me ask you this then. Historically, Americans reject these policies. 
what they used to hide and hope that the courts might do for them. Arguments they never win at the ballot box that would get them elected or things that they could never pass legislatively. And they would try and rely on the courts and judicial activism. Now we have them openly advocating things that they never said before. This is not the old Democratic Party. And I guess my question is, you know, Americans have always rejected it. And why do you think there's some momentum for it at all at this point, or at least leading into Biden, there was momentum for it? Well, I mean, by the work we have done, and as you know, because you've talked about it on your shows, we did this paper on restoring the America that works with a new American majority, which is available at Gingrich 360. One of the keys to that was we looked at a lot of these social issues, and overwhelmingly, you end up with about a 15 to 20 percent minority, but they're very well organized. They're very militant. Partly it goes back to your point about being a religious cult. They're the people who dominate by intensity and ferocity, not because they're a majority, but because they're so miserable and so nasty. Imagine AOC getting in your face all day, every day, or Elizabeth Warren. These are just nasty people. And we don't produce enough people. In fact, I had a reputation, as you know, for being willing to fight them, which they thought was horrifying. But I was willing to stand toe to toe, as you are. I mean, at your show every single night and your radio show every day, you stand up to the left in a way that very few people do. And I do think that the systems begin to break down, both because the performance is so bad that people feel it in their lives. I always tell people every Republican candidate this fall should campaign in black and Latino neighborhoods and should campaign specifically at gas stations and grocery stores, because that's where people are going to say, I can't afford this. But the other part of it is they've been very smart where Republicans have focused on creating businesses and leading complete lives and defending the country overseas. They've focused on acquiring power. I mean, if you look at the teachers union as a mechanism for power, not a mechanism for education, and you look at a place like Baltimore, which has one of the worst records of failing to teach children in the entire country, but it has a great record of writing a check every month to the teacher. So from the teachers union standpoint, the fact that the kids fail, that the neighborhoods are terrible, that they have no future, that's unfortunate, but at least all the members of the union got paid. And then they take part of that money, and they are the largest single force in the Democratic Party today. And they're a force for hard left anti-American attitudes. You know, as we now approach November, and I look at this, and I've said it many times, maybe I say it too often, every election season, it's a tipping point or an inflection point for the country. But of all the issues that we face, 87% of Americans are concerned about inflation. 83% are concerned about election integrity, violent crime. You mentioned schools, illegal immigration, rising gas prices. And I guess the question is, you know, I think the people now see it, but then you worry about how we take their anger, their fear, their anxiety, and everything in between and mobilize that into a movement that in overwhelming numbers, people say enough is enough. Because I can't predict with any certainty. It looks like we're going to have a wave election year. I can't predict with certainty that we'll win the House and Senate. I don't think anybody can. First of all, I always tell people, no matter what the polls say, tell me the first couple precincts that come in, because the polls don't always capture, you know, in the special election in Texas the other week, where we elected the first Mexican-born Latina who had come here legally, who is a great advocate for controlling the border, is married to a border patrolman, she's a terrific person. In her special election, there was a county that swung 38% from where it had been two years ago. This is Congresswoman-elect Flores in the 34th District of Texas. Yeah. And she literally had a county that swung 38%. You apply that nationally and you would have the biggest disaster for the Democratic Party since 1894. I don't think that'll happen, but I do think they could have the biggest disaster since 1920, which would be pretty amazing. But what's happening, I think, is that 
you've got to look at who's going to turn out and who's not going to turn out. The Republicans really have, I think, three simple steps from now to a massive victory. Step one is it ain't working. I mean, just keep hammering away. Not that it's liberal conservative, just not working. And you can tell it's not working because it's not working in your life. Step two is we know how to make it work. Ronald Reagan made it work. Donald Trump made it work. You want to look at the inflation rate. You want to look at locking up prisoners who are dangerous. You want to look at if that guy in Los Angeles had been locked up as he should have been, two policemen would be alive today and their families would have their fathers. So you can say, one, it's not working. Two, we actually know how to make it work. And that's part of why I wrote Defeating Big Government Socialism was to say, not only are they wrong, but here's the right way to do it. And then three, I think you can spend September and October simply saying, we can do better. If you don't want to do better, if you think this is fine, vote Democrat. But if you want to do better, the only practical way to do that in 2022 is to vote Republican. I think if we do that and don't get sucked into trivial issues or minor issues or whatever the news media wants to do to get a soft message, we're going to win. For you and me, it may not be quite as exciting as the night you hosted when we took control of the House, which was a 40-year moment. But I think election night's going to be pretty good. I think it would be really, really good. And that was a special night. I was the MC. It was at the Cobb Galleria. I did see you earlier in the day, and I said, how certain are you that you're going to take back control of the House for the first time in 40 years? And you were as confident as anybody I've ever met. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus from bbc radio 4 Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. These are extraordinary times. And if you want to compare and contrast or talk about a choice election, this is it on steroids. And I guess maybe the simple and obvious question is, you talk about a new American majority. What is this American majority about? And how do you translate that American majority into victory in 2022, 2024 and beyond? I think it's very important to start by talking about a new American majority, not a new Republican majority. You know, Reagan always said to my fellow Republicans and those independents and Democrats who share our values, he never talked only to Republicans. I've started saying we're not going to have a red wave. We're going to have a red, white, and blue wave. 
because when you get 87% of the country saying they want to restore the America that works, which tells you they think it ain't working right now, nine out of every 10 Americans for all practical purposes, that's a red, white, and blue movement. It's not a red movement. It also means, and we just saw this, by the way, in the primaries recently in Virginia, where a Latina whose parents had come from El Salvador, she had been very active in police work and in the military. She won the Republican primary. She'll probably beat the Democrat in the general. And I think in South Texas, there are three Latina Republican candidates, for example. If I were a traditional Democrat and I saw the collapse of the Democratic Party in the Hispanic community and the increasing erosion of the Democratic Party in the black community, and I realized what's going to be left is a Ivy League graduate white core group who are crazy. I mean, that's going to be the heart of the modern Democratic Party. And because they only talk to themselves, they have no idea how far out of touch they are with the rest of the country. So from my standpoint, there are a couple of steps here. One is to have a big issues election and not get drawn down into, for example, Senator Warnock is an extraordinarily good preacher. If it was just down to personalities between he and Herschel Walker, Warnock might have a reasonable chance of survival just because he can talk so well. On the other hand, if Warnock becomes the Biden candidate, he's going to drown. Biden and Georgia's at 28%. And so the same thing is true across the whole country. And my hope is that the Senate committee will realize that it should nationalize every Senate race into a clear choice. You have Biden's candidate and you have the new American majority candidate. I want to stop you because what you're saying is too important here. You want to nationalize the election. At every level. On every level, which sounds a lot like what was successful, what finally brought the Republican Party out of the wilderness and you became speaker after 40 years of being in a minority. I mean, imagine that, four decades, and you started with this program, Renewing American Civilization. It evolves into a contract with America, and Republicans then take back control of the House. So you're talking now about a new American majority. And if you can, explain what that specifically means, because I know you too well. You're giving us a roadmap, but I want to highlight the fact that it's a roadmap for people. Let me first of all put in context just for a second. You often very generously describe yourself as my younger brother. And to show how much younger, in 1974, I first started working with Ronald Reagan. In fact, he taught me how he made speeches, which is a technique I still use. And I campaigned with him in 79 and 80. And then, of course, I worked with him for eight years while he was president. You got to tell us what the technique is. You can't keep it just to yourself. Well, his technique was he had four by six cards, and each card had an idea on it. What happened was, because I was running in the middle of Watergate and the Georgia GOP had nothing, they were so grateful that I would run, they had me take Governor Reagan back to the airport to catch an airplane. And his plane was late. This was an earlier and simpler time. He was flying commercial with one California trooper. And so we're going to have like an hour and a half in a VIP room waiting for his airplane. And after about five minutes, he got tired of listening to me. And he said, would you like to see how I give speeches? Not being an idiot, I said, yeah, I'd love to learn how he gives speeches. So Reagan reaches into the bag he's carrying with him and pulls out the stack held together by rubber bands of about 70 four by six cards. He said, each card has an idea. And when I get somewhere and I'm about to give a speech, I look at the audience and figure out what they're interested in. And so I take about 20 of the 70 cards. I then shuffle them. And he said, because if I gave the same speech every day, I would get bored giving it. The audience would know that I was bored. And so the audience would get bored. But since I don't know what the next card is, I have to figure out how to make a transition from whatever I'm talking about to the next topic. So I have a lot of adrenaline just trying to figure out how am I going to do this? Well, they sense in my body language that I'm into the speech. So they're into the speech. And as you know, because you've sat with me, I outline while I'm sitting there over dinner. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. You're not going to do this justice. I've got to interrupt you. So. 
when I was a local radio host in Atlanta, and I not only emceed the night you became speaker, but I would emcee all of these events that you would do. And without fail, maybe five or 10 minutes before I usually would introduce you, you never had a pen with you. I don't know why you never had a pen. Somebody should have bought you a pen. But you would always look at me and say, do you have a pen? And I'm like, sure, here's my pen again. I give you one every time I see you. But you would even take a cloth napkin, a cloth napkin, and I'd watch you and you would go like this and you'd write down an idea. And then I'd watch again, you'd write down another idea. Usually I would count after. There were about five ideas, five, that you would put down thoughts on a cloth napkin. Your preparation for that speech was zero. <laughs> At that time in my career, the thought of me even attempting that would have been impossible. Now, I've learned from the best, and I now can do that speech that way. But at the time, I wasn't capable of doing it. I would sit there in fascination. I'm like, he didn't prepare a word of this. I'm preparing my introduction. I got my notes. I got my binder. I'm like, you know. But as you know now at this stage in your career, I actually had a lifetime of preparation and a minute of outline. But the point I was going to make is the first Capital Steps event is 1980. The first mention of a contract is Ronald Reagan on the Capitol Steps. We won 14 Senate seats that year in a sweep that nobody expected because we got all of them on the steps with Reagan to validate that they were serious. So I just took everything I'd ever learned from Reagan, plus, thanks to our good friend Gay Gaines, I'd gotten to know Margaret Thatcher pretty well. And I took what Thatcher had done in Britain, and I took what Reagan had done in America, wove them together. And that became the contract campaign. So I would say a couple simple things. This is part of why I wrote this new book on defeating big government socialism. One, we have to make this an election about not working, that everything they touch doesn't work. The schools don't work. The law enforcement doesn't work. The border doesn't work. The economy doesn't work. And they're trying to destroy places like West Point, by insisting on racist education and sexually bizarre education in ways that are just totally destructive of national defense. So part one is it ain't working. Part two is we can prove we know how to stop inflation. Reagan stopped it. Trump stopped it. We know how to create jobs. Reagan created them. Trump created them. We know how to control the border. Both Reagan and Trump got the border under control. So what we're offering you is a chance to have a future that actually works based on principles that work. And then the challenge for the Republicans, unlike what happened after 2010, which frankly led to the rise of Trump, is they've got to take seriously when they win this fall. And they've got to, from day one, go nose to nose with Biden and begin to fundamentally change the government, even while Biden is president. And they've got to do it in a way that starts with the American people. I recently ran across this wonderful phrase. Abraham Lincoln said, with public sentiment, anything is possible. Without public sentiment, nothing is possible. So Republicans have to learn, how do we operate so that the American people, that 87% that wants to restore an America that works, stick with us? Because if that happens, we will then win a crushing victory in 24. We will then have a transition like Reagan had in 81. And by 26, we will have ended the Roosevelt era majority after almost a century. But that takes really thoughtful learning, planning, practicing. Doesn't happen overnight. As you know, it's like people who think they can do talk radio because they can talk. They have no idea what it's really like to do it and to be successful. It's a little harder than people think. You've done it, so you know. You know, I'm listening to you, and we've been friends all these many years. It's almost like you have consolidated a lifetime of knowledge, study, and real-life experience. And you're laying out a roadmap that we can save the country, most importantly, and lead to victory which is the title of your book, Defeating Big Government Socialism, Saving America's Future. 
I'm not sure if you could have written this book 20 years ago. I couldn't have. I don't know, 10 years ago. You're right. This is the culmination of a lifetime of learning and doing, and also of reacting to what's happened. I mean, 20 years ago, you didn't have the left as insane as it is now. 20 years ago, you didn't have a Republican Party as diverse as it is now. We're a much broader party than we were 20 years ago. And we attract many people that we would not have attracted 20 years ago. Right. You know, you see the polls and you talk about a new American majority. You don't say a Republican majority, as you pointed out. But you look at all the polls. Donald Trump was right at the precipice, I felt, prior to the pandemic, where every demographic in America, African-Americans, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, women in the workplace, youth unemployment, African-American youth unemployment, we were setting record low after record low after record low. And historically, Democrats will say Republicans are racist and sexist and misogynist and so on and so forth. But when you look at what every American wants, I do believe there's an opportunity to realign, if you will, a new alliance that would include for the Republican movement or the Republican Party or the American majority, to use your words, every demographic for no reason other than the fact that these policies, when implemented, work. And law and order is critical. A good education. Glenn Youngkin was on my TV show recently. He reinstated school choice. You know, issues like that, controlling the borders, energy independence, lower taxes, less government involvement, free and fair trade. I think most people don't like to get ripped off. And there might be a moment here where the left has gone so wacky, so extreme, that if Republicans show that their policies will work for everybody, there's a window of opportunity here that we can reconfigure the entire political landscape in the country. I think you're onto something. You're way ahead of the curve as usual on this. Well, look, I think that there's a very real possibility, which will frankly be difficult for a lot of Republicans to deal with. It means that if you're a country club Republican, you're all of a sudden going to have all these people who don't belong to the country club. Well, invite them. How about we invite them? Yeah, I'm just saying the old order is going to find itself a little uncomfortable because there are going to be so many different, whether it's blue collar workers or it's minorities. Listen, I think young people, when they go out and try to fill up their car or their truck, they suddenly start thinking, maybe I'm not with those guys because they're crazy. Oh, my son graduated from college. I'm very aware of the shock. My son goes to me, you know, Dad, you said I could have unlimited Uber Eats and unlimited mm -hmm. Uber. And I said, that's right, when you were in college. I said, you still can, but you have to pay for it. <laughs> All of a sudden, that didn't go over so well. That's right. Well, that's like the famous story. The first time you get a paycheck and you realize it's actually smaller than your employer said it would be. And the difference is government. And as we used to say back in the 70s, that a conservative was a liberal who'd been mugged. <laughs> exactly. You have been extraordinarily generous to take this level of time. I know how busy you are. I've watched your schedule. To be honest, I don't know how you do three hours of radio and an hour of television and do it as well as you do it. Wait a minute. You can't get away with that compliment. I learned something from you post when you were a speaker. And one time I asked you, I mean, you're up night and day. I talk to you night and day. I mean, how do you do it? And you actually said to me that there are days you were so tired that the innermost center of your brain, it was a dull ache all the time because you didn't sleep and you worked all the time. If I have a good work ethic, part of it I learned from you and my mom, a prison guard who works 16-hour shifts every day. Well, you've learned it well, and the thing is that you don't just work hard. You're really good at this. You are clearly the preeminent host in the country, and your impact is enormous. I can tell you because I walk through airports, and the number of people who say, oh, I saw you on Sean, or I heard you on Sean. I mean, you have a real reach, and the fact that you would take this kind of time to do a podcast with us, I'm really grateful. I'll do this anytime you want, to be honest, because what you're laying out is too important, especially between now and Election Day. Well, if you want to get a first print edition of Defeating Big Government Socialism, Saving America's Future, it's actually out now. 
And I encourage everybody, if you love this country and you want to learn how we can save this country, this is the roadmap. And I got to tell you, it's an honor to be your friend. You have taught me so much. I just learn from you every time I talk to you. And I'm very blessed to have this relationship with you. It's a great friendship as well as a great partnership. And I'm grateful you would do this. Thank you very much. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garncy Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell. Our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show is Steve Penley, who's terrific. And a special thanks to all the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you go to Apple Podcasts and rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. And right now, listeners to Newt's World, you can sign up for Newt's weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Sean Hannity, and it's not my world, it's Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.